Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I am your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research and practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Welcome. This is episode three of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. We've got a great episode lined up for you today. I have a conversation with Dr. Chase Young. He recently co-authored a book with Timothy Rosinski called Tiered Fluency Instruction, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5. Uh, Dr. Young, he's an associate professor in the School of Teaching at Learning at Sam Houston State University, and the conversation is is fantastic. Uh, our, our actual discussion went so long that I decided to split it up into two episodes. So this particular episode will get half of my conversation with Dr. Young, and then the next episode that's released next week will have the second half. Um, so the book... I really enjoyed it as a practitioner because it was very classroom oriented. I could pick it up. I could run with it. It was easy to implement in my classroom because it was very clear with how the different strategies are taught. And it it gives background on fluency. And then the majority of the book, though, is divided up into here's ideas of how to support fluency in a tier one type setting, tier two, tier three. So between the two episodes, you'll get me and Dr. Young talking about the history of fluency instruction, uh, the components of fluency, why it matters, uh, tier one, tier two, tier three ideas, and then how to assess fluency. So it's a great primer on fluency, and I hope you enjoy listening to the episode. Uh, Let me introduce Dr. Chase Young, and then you can hear the interview. After the interview, make sure to stick around for my two cents. And as always, if you like what you hear on the Teaching Literacy Podcast, please share it with a teacher that you know. So Dr. Chase Young is an associate professor in the School of Teaching and Learning at Sam Houston State University. His research primarily aims to develop reading fluency and supporting struggling readers in elementary schools. In 2014, the ALER selected him as their Jerry Johns Promising Researcher. Previously, he also was selected as one of Corpus Christi's 40 Under 40 for his work with young readers in the area. Before entering higher education, Dr. Young taught elementary school and served as a reading specialist. Dr. Chase Young, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Ah, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, you recently authored a book, co-authored a book with Timothy Rosinski called Tiered Fluency Instruction, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5. I'm curious, what are some of the, what initially drew you to uh, doing research in the area of fluency? That's a good question. I, um, I guess when I was a classroom teacher, um, fluency instruction in my class was always uh, my favorite and uh, yeah, you know, some of the some of the strategies and activities uh, were also the students' favorite. So I guess just that positive experience in the classroom made me want to investigate it further um, and uh, see if I could um, find new strategies, develop new strategies, activities, and, uh, and that's uh, here I am. 
Excellent. Uh, can you give us some of the background and the history of, of fluency research and fluency instruction? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's uh, the, the story of fluency is uh, long and strange and, uh, you know, it's, it's had its ups, its downs. Um, but I guess one of the, the biggest, uh, um, ahas for me when I was, when I was researching was an article by Dick Allington in 1983. It's called, uh, fluency, the neglected reading goal. And, uh, essentially it's a very intuitive article and it makes complete sense. Um, what he's arguing is that students are being assessed with reading difficulties um, and they're being, you know, at the time, they're being deemed disfluent. But yet the instruction that's provided to those students is like phonics instruction or phonemic awareness or, or something other than fluency instruction. So essentially this, this article just said, hey, if they're disfluent, teach, use fluency <laughs> instruction. Um, so that was, um, and, and I think that was big for the field as well. Uh, and then, you know, um, moving on, uh, especially right around 2000, um, when the National Reading Panel, you know, named it one of the five components of reading instruction, I think what people started to interpret fluency as speed, just creating a nation of super, super fast readers. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's not the whole story. Um, and, and I think that's when it started getting a kind of a bad name where teachers were like, you know, they have to understand there's so much more to reading than just being able to read fast. Um, I think Jay Samuels wrote an article, something, uh, I think the title was something like, is barking at print actually reading? Um, <laughs> so again, you know, it uh, kind of had a, uh, now we've kind of, uh, agreed that reading fluency is more about um, reading with accuracy, reading at an appropriate pace, you know, um, slowing down uh, for for um, uh, certain texts if necessary, and uh, not penalizing the students for reading with great expression and pausing and, and things like that. So, you know, we have accurate readers um, that read at an appropriate pace with expression that matches the meaning of the text. And that's really kind of the general consensus on the components of reading fluency. Excellent. Yeah. I've noticed if I was, as I've read research things pre national reading panel, even, even in research fluency wasn't assessed a ton. You'd have comprehension measures and word recognition. And then I feel post uh, national reading panel that you see research, even research looking at uh, fluency a lot more, which, which I've kind of found interesting as I've. Right. Yes, as right. I read. And, you know, I think this, the the focus on speed as well is partly the fault of the research because measuring words read correctly per minute is really easy and it's precise. Um, and measuring uh, reading expression and and appropriate pace is a little bit more ambiguous. Um, but we tend to use the multi dimensional fluency scale that was developed by. Uh, um, Rosinski and his uh, dissertation chair, uh, Jerry Zutel, back in 1991, um, and it still seems to be a, one of the best ways to assess um, reading fluency, in my opinion. So while we're talking about fluency, so um, tell us, can you explain us the aspects of a, of a robust, solid reading fluency assessment that isn't just measuring words correct per minute? Right, yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
I, I honestly have to tell you that we we kind of piecemeal it together. There's no single perfect reading fluency assessment. Um, uh, but I think making sure that you have, you know, a, a text that's around uh, the student's grade level, and and I and I agree that you should probably measure the words, uh, words read correctly per minute. But also along the way, having that rubric that Tim created back in the day uh, handy so that you can actually uh, listen for expression, volume, phrasing, smoothness, and pace. So really, you can assess, yeah, you can assess fluency with anything, a, a book, a poem, a speech. And then it is simple to determine, you know, once you have that, the prosody and expression and rate that together they kind of combine to give it overall picture rather than just the words correct per minute of right. you know, faster is better that right. it's a little bit more nuanced than that well yeah uh, and you know prosody is so important because you know kids who who read out loud with expression there's parts of their brains that actually kind of light up um and then they when they're reading silently those same parts light up so they're actually having that inner dialogue and entertaining themselves but unfortunately the the opposite is true kids who read out loud and bore you to death read silently and bore themselves to death. So naturally, independent reading is probably their worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, I really like the way you frame reading in the, in the book where you talk about surface reading and deep reading. Can you give us a brief intro on those and, and how does fluency fit into surface reading and deep reading? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, I think the connection between the, the surface and, and the deep reading is the theory of automaticity. It's essentially where we want kids to be able to rapidly recognize words and decode words at the surface um, and um, limit their, you know, once they become more automatic, they, they, they limit all that, um, their cognitive energy. They're not using too much brain power so that then all that cognition is freed for that deeper processes like thinking about reading and reading comprehension, which is essentially the main goal of, of reading. Um, so once they get those, but sometimes, you know, it's like an interactive compensatory approach as, as Stanovich talked about it, where sometimes they do have to stop that, 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 uh, focus on comprehension to actually decode and break down words, but then we want them to, you know, quickly self-correct, move on and continue thinking about the text. And that's, uh, some of that work is LeBurge and Samuels, right? With yes. the yes. cognitive resources. Excellent. Yes, 1974. Right. Still kicking. In the, in the book, you, you spend different chapters walking through uh, tier one strategies for, you know, using fluency in the classroom, tier two, tier three. Uh, can you give a brief overview of, of the tiered system? I, I'm sure many teachers are familiar with it. just a brief overview, and then we can sure. go into each one uh, a bit more individually. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the tier one is is mainly just the the your core curriculum, which is uh, good for all students, um, and so they're designed to engage the entire class. Um, and then in in tier two, it's it's really for students that that shows difficulty, some difficulties with uh, with fluency. Um, so we we recommend meeting with those students in small groups uh, in a type tier two type setting. Um, and then tier three, just like in the, the RTI, is, is, is essentially the emergency level where if we don't do something, you know, um, it's, it's, it's dire. And uh, we recommend, if at all possible, to, to work with those students one-on-one -on -one. Um, because really, I mean, without you, 
you know, what do they have? A lot of times these are students that have not qualified for special education services and, and they're just going to sit there on tier three forever unless you take the time and, 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 and you know, use the research-based strategies to get them where they need to be. Because, you know, if, if, if not you, who? So let's go into each of the each of the tiers individually, and you can you can speak to specific examples for each tier. Um, so in tier one, it's uh, it's fostering fluency in the whole group. Uh, it's it's aligned with your curriculum that you have, and uh, you know certainly the the standards that your state um, uses. And you mentioned that, uh, and you talked about in the introduction that you love these whole group fluency tier one type strategies because they can be highly engaging for students, fun for you as a teacher. Uh, but you also mentioned in the book that it's um, it can be easy to get sidetracked with the, the fun activities part uh, rather than focusing on the instructional part. Can you uh, speak to that and perhaps give some ideas of how to keep focused on the instruction while also maintaining the, the engagement aspect? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when I go and I, and I train teachers or, or work with teachers, I have to remind them, you know, I start out with theory and, and research and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm kind of a nerd, but this stuff is important because we have to stay true to the theory and the research um, and the theories behind reading fluency are, you know, the theory of automaticity where, you know, practice, 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 practice. Um, and, and some of the other underlying researches from Jay Samuels in 79 as well, you know, the method of repeated readings. It's the fact that they are reading something um, and practicing, just like you practice a trombone or dance or, or um, racquetball, whatever you're into. You know, the more you do it, the better, the better you're going to get. So we have to remind teachers that, you know, whatever, whatever changes or adjustments you make to these strategies that we offer – you want to make sure that they're still fundamentally practicing reading and that they're reading a lot. Uh, what's an example of a tier one fluency instruction technique that teachers can use and, and some research behind it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think one of our favorites and what we've been researching a lot lately in different contexts is Reader's Theater. And that's essentially where um, groups of s students um, rehearse uh, a text, which is often just a script of, of a popular children's book or a poem or, or any text. I mean, you could script a Wikipedia page of South Texas if you wanted to, and wouldn't be that engaging, but you could. So essentially, they rehearse a, a, a script uh, in groups for, for a week, uh, and they perform it at the end of the week. And uh, each day we ask that they, you know, they have particular focus uh, for, for each day. Like on Monday, you know, the teacher reads all the script choices uh, out loud. And then, and then the students choose, you know, they raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I love that one. I want to be in that group. Uh, and it's mainly just because they like it or because their best friend chose it, which is fine, I guess, <laughs> as long as they're happy. And then, uh, you know, on 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 day two, they they kind of uh, they get to select their parts and and they rehearse and focus on word recognition, just knowing the words. Because um, you know, I get this question a lot about scripts: is you know, what about levels? And um, Tim and I agree, and some other researchers as well that that's not the number one consideration in reader theater. It's really about choice and 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 offering quality text. Uh, because the kids get a chance to 
rehearse all week long. So on, on day two, don't be surprised when it's time to choose their parts and, and that one student in your class, well, okay, those 10 students in your class perhaps that are struggling with reading choose narrator one or they want to be the king or they want to be Skippy John Jones. They want to be the main parts. And, you know, we speculate on what that, why that is. And we believe it's because they have a whole week to practice. And for the first time in their lives, by Friday when they're performing, they can stand up and sound like a great reader. And, and it's, a, it's wonderful to see. You know, it's a struggle at first, but, you know, eventually they get it. So that's where, that's where we see some of the motivation and, and confidence-building um, aspect of Reader's Theater. So uh, on Wednesday, you know, after they've rehearsed and they've focused on word recognition, we ask them to focus on expression that matches the meaning of the text. And, you know, the, the students coach each other, the, the teacher listens in and coaches as well. Um, and then on Thursday, we have like a, a dress rehearsal. But honestly, it's not a dress rehearsal because readers are supposed to be easy. All you need are scripts and readers. Um, we don't deal with costumes or props or anything like that. This, again, is an instructional activity. And, and you'll just work yourself to death uh, getting ready for that every week. Uh, and then Friday, you know, we... Uh, we perform for each other or we perform for other classes or we or we ask the principal in for our observation. Uh, and all you have to do is sit at the back and, and, and your kids just are reading like crazy. Um, or you can trap the people in the front office uh, because they can't go anywhere and uh, perform <laughs> for them. Um, you know, you can invite parents in. Uh, we used to have a, a 10 o'clock standing uh, reader theater performance and parents would come and they'd watch their kids. They'd stay there for 15 minutes. I'd uh, try to sneak in a little parent teacher conference with that one parent that seems to be avoiding me. And then, uh, you know, and then the next week it starts over. Um, and I will tell you that all the research behind it is not, you know, um, they use Reader Seer once for Thanksgiving and once about, you know, snowmen in January. It's a consistent implementation weekly uh, and daily. Um, it usually only takes about five minutes. Uh, however, some teachers like to add, um, and we developed a new framework. It's actually, it was in the reading teacher in 2017 called Reader Seer Plus uh, Comprehension and Word Study. And it actually has comprehension activities and word study activities that go along with it. Um, so if you want to add a little bit, I hate using the R word, a little bit more rigor and focus on some of the comprehension and vocabulary as well. Um, but both implementation methods we've researched and we've found um, some really interesting things. Not only does it increase fluency, but it also increases reading comprehension. Um, and I'll tell you about this this most recent study. It's really, 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 uh, we didn't expect these results. What we did is we had a couple hundred kids around Texas, uh, second graders, and we uh, had a treatment and control groups. And one, uh, the treatment engaged in the reader's theater uh, uh, plus comprehension and word study. And um, then we had business as usual controls. And we actually matched the groups statistically. So we had, uh, so, you know, there wasn't, uh, we tried to eliminate some of the bias. And we found out that, you know, the kids in the treatment significantly, statistically significantly um, outperformed those in the control on the measure of reading comprehension. We used a standardized test called the Gates-McGinnity 
uh, for pre and post testing on decoding word uh, word um, knowledge and reading comprehension. Now, okay, that was cool because we're like, okay, so this fluency stuff and this focus on fluency does actually, you know, increase comprehension. But others have found that in the past um, over and over. Uh, Griffith and Rosinski in 2004, lots of others that have Reinhardt. I mean, they, they found that it, it, it's, it's pretty impactful on reading achievement overall. But the most interesting thing is we decided to analyze it by gender. And so we looked at the treatment uh, and control, and we looked at males versus females in each group. And in the control, what you see is this typical trend that we've had in literacy for as long as I know, uh, where the girls started out better at on every measure and ended better on every measure. And, uh, and that gap um, was sustained. So we have this literacy achievement gap uh, when considering gender. But interestingly, on every single measure in the treatment group, the boys started out lower, just like the control. But on every single measure, they outperformed the girls. They ended up performing better. So that's the stuff we're writing up right now because I think it's one of the most important findings so far uh, in my research uh, because boys tend to just not be as engaged with reading as girls, and they, 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 there's been this gap forever. And we love the fact that we might be able to offer an activity that might help mitigate that gap. You're saying that it really a minimal amount of time. We're not talking the full 90 minutes every day spending doing reader's theater. What, what's the dosage there? Yeah, um, the dosage with that last study was actually, uh, it ranged from about 10 to 20 minutes a day. Um, in our other studies where you don't use the, the script for comprehension and vocabulary instruction. You usually take about five minutes a day. Um, and I know it takes five minutes because I recommend you set a timer because if you just tell all the groups who are reading different scripts, you know, read it three times, they all get done at different times. And as teachers, we hate the, I'm done. What do I do? I'm done. But you just say, rehearse it as many times as you can in five minutes. And that helps alleviate that. Or, you can do what I do sometimes. Uh, I call it the, the DMV strategy where they get done and I look at them in the face when they ask me what they can do and I tell them to wait. <laughs> Just sit at your desk and wait. Practice waiting. <laughs> um, so there's that. I know teachers are always looking for scripts. Uh, my website has a ton of them. Uh, again, they're not leveled. Um, so just pick them based on whether you think your kids will like them. But the website's uh, thebestclass.org. And uh, if you click on RT scripts, you'll find about 250 scripts that you can use, ranging from like alphabet scripts all the way to the trial of Socrates. Uh, so there's something for pretty much every grade level in there. Um, for I mean, there's poetry, there's, there's nonfiction, there's lots of popular, popular um, children's books that have been scripted. Some are by my students that have scripted them, like the Burp Champion. Uh, I've also scripted some, some things for Christmas, and uh, if, you, if you celebrate that, uh, they have um, the shoot-your-eye-out scene from A Christmas Story as well as uh, the flagpole scene. So there's, 
There's plenty to choose from. Oh, nonfiction books like The Gas We Pass. Yep. A lot of engaging stuff there. That's that's excellent. Yeah. And the the DMV strategy that's that's a keeper. I'm gonna I'll put that in my repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What a great conversation with Dr. Young. I appreciate the energy that he brings to talking about reading research. Here's my two cents from what we talked about. My number one first big takeaway is about prosody. I have a whole new appreciation for it. During my undergrad, I memorized that fluency was rate, accuracy, and prosody. And then I began teaching, and I will be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of focusing on prosody in my classroom. Uh, But I'm going to change that. Because to me, it seems like the bad rap that fluency can sometimes get is because it can have this bent towards, oh, we're focusing on speed. And it's about how many words the kid can blurt out in a minute, and then how many words they can tell about what they blurted out in that minute. And so it becomes this race phenomenon where more is better and fast is even better than not quite as fast. So with prosody, I think it adds in a whole depth and dimension to fluency that's easy to neglect. We know that reading is a very rich experience, and we want our students to be able to read in that rich voice, not the robot voice. We don't want our students to sound like Alexa or like OK Google. We want them to have a richness when they read. And so modeling that prosody and finding ways to help students develop that prosody within the fluency scope, uh, I think is very important. And so perhaps consider something like the multidimensional fluency scale to help us have a more well-rounded view of our students' fluency within our classroom. So that was my first big takeaway was prosody. I'm not going to neglect it anymore. Uh, I'm going to start using it in my classroom better. My second big takeaway from talking with Dr. Young was reader's theater. As a teacher, I've never been big into Reader's Theater. Uh, I remember learning about the research base behind it uh, during my undergrad, but I just haven't just haven't latched onto it. Uh, it's just kind of not my thing. But after reading Tiered Fluency Instruction and then talking with Dr. Young, um, I see Reader's Theater in a new light. That if it's something where I can help some of my struggling readers feel successful and they can be in the spotlight in reading and feel successful with reading, even just for a few minutes, that's something that's worth a lot. So then not only are they getting potential fluency benefits from the repeated readings that they're doing and the focus on prosody, but they're also getting that successful experience with literacy, which is hard to measure, but we know that's important, that we need to have our students having positive experiences toward literature if we want them to continue to be literate individuals. So I enjoyed that. And the dosage factor really got me interested as well, saying that only five minutes a day they can do reader's theater. And and I I can see that. I can see if you have a really good system and a routine and it's a protocol that the students know this is how we do it every single day at the exact same time. I could see something like that happening in five minutes. But but even if you doubled that, you know, say in my classroom, is there can I find 10 minutes in the day to help my students feel successful with reading and to help my students have a fun, rich, authentic 
literary experience with fun text that you can get from thebestclass.org, Dr. Young's website, that's something that I think is worth my time. And so I see Reader's Theater New Light. I, I, I get the vision of it. So that, that was a fantastic conversation with Dr. Young. I really appreciated him taking the time to talk with us. Uh, you can pick up the book uh, on Amazon, uh, through your local library, wherever you get your books. Uh, it's Tiered Fluency Instructions, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5. This is part one of the discussion, so if you enjoyed our discussion this week, you've got to stick around for the next episode. In the next episode, we talk uh, Tier 2 ideas, and then we get into Tier 3 of how to support uh, f- students in developing more proficient fluency, and then we also talk about uh, assessment of fluency. So great conversation with Dr. Young. I really appreciate his time. And if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a teacher that you know. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us on teachingliteracypodcast.com. And as always, you can leave a review in Stitcher or iTunes uh, to help support the show and get in the hands of other teachers. Thank you for your time and for listening, and I will see you in the next week's episode. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.